Do you have trouble navigating the politics at school, at work, or in the marketplace? If you're looking for help on how to deal with difficult people, this episode is for you. Welcome to the Code City Podcast, where we help unleash the entrepreneur in everyone through talks, startups, boot camps, mentors, and events designed to give you the tools you need to innovate wherever you are. My name is Eric Williams, and I'm with Nate Walk. And Nate, the question for you this week is, what was the dumbest argument you've ever been a part of? Oh, I'd have to say it was probably with my uh, younger brother and sister when we were kids. Yeah, arguing, what, oh, what's, what sort of things would you argue over? Uh, whose turn it was to uh, for their TV show. And uh, what like what was the argument about? What TV show did you want to watch versus their TV shows? Well, we, I remember them. Always, everybody always thought it was their turn. We each had our own kind of oh, calculation yeah. on whose turn it was, and that was always a big thing. Always ended up in somebody crying. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the, the types of shows I would watch, uh, my entire life revolved around Friday nights, The, the Incredible Hulk and The Dukes of Hazard. Yeah, nice. So, and uh, what, what was like the least favorite show that your brothers and sisters wanted to watch that you hated? Uh, there was something about some kind of a ponies that had stars that would like glitter around and my sister would watch that and my brother the cartoon era he was from was uh, he-man masters of the universe okay so i was on the tail end of that i could appreciate that but it wasn't the core to who i was like the super friends gotcha gotcha well uh we just recently experienced a great talk at code city by an individual who helps us on how to deal with difficult people you want to tell us a little bit about that uh yeah so the speaker was bill roman he's actually a life coach um, he's a licensed clinical counselor. He founded Crucible Life Resources, mm-hmm. and he has several different specialties, but he does a lot of uh, family counseling uh, and uh, dysfunction within relationships. Sure. So when we're talking about like innovation and entrepreneurs and startups, why is this talk in particular important uh, for to, to help unleash the entrepreneur and everyone? Well, I think that there's a really close connection between uh, tech and the human uh, nature of all everything that we do. Sure. So even in our professional lives, a lot of the tools that we use in our personal life can carry over to navigating, say, difficult relationships at work or in or politics. It's something that we all face no matter what we're doing, whether we are an employee somewhere or an entrepreneur. Hmm. So Bill's talk is relevant. I think it's all universal. So Right, yeah, because no matter what we do, what we're involved in, at some level you've got to deal with people. No doubt, and even more, people have to deal with you. And if you're maybe you're the difficult person that, that <laughs> right, is, right, yeah. So let's check out and see what uh, Bill has to say. All right. It's an honor and privilege to be here uh, to speak. I've known Nate for uh, Nathan for uh, many years. Uh, we served in a, a cell together uh, in, a, in a previous <laughs> previous life. Um, he's been a good, a good buddy, and sometimes has served as my alter ego. I, I, I think you know. Uh, so, uh, and my counselor as well. I, I was listening uh, to Mark, and I noticed that he uh, pulled out his phone, right, with his notes, right. My phone is in my pocket, on vibrator, because I don't have notes in that. I have notes on my note cards. That's what these were made for. So this, this kind of, this, this kind of tells you my age, right. Um, um, I just got back. My wife and I just went to my 50th high school reunion over the weekend. So that I know that's ancient. Uh, that was quite an interesting uh, excursion down down memory lane. And uh, everybody wanted to go home at nine o'clock. We were already t- we were already tired at that time. So um, my my talk tonight. I got a little handout for you, and I'll talk a little bit later about that. And. Um, my, my talk tonight is about, it begins, it begins with you. I don't know how many of you uh, have, know the comic strip Pogo at all. 
that kind of dates a lot of us, doesn't it, Pogo? Well, there's an interesting line in Pogo, which was 100 years ago, and, and, uh, and Pogo says to, to somebody, he says, we have met the enemy, and they are us. A little, uh, a little uh, different uh, take on uh, Admiral Perry's, uh, Commodore Perry's piece, that we have met the enemy and they are ours. We've met the enemy and they are us. There's a common denominator in all my problems, which is me. me, me. And so I'd like to speak tonight a little bit about it begins with, with you. It starts with you. We all have uh, issues in our lives and our common denominator in all of them is, uh, is ourselves. And so I'd like to talk a little bit about what's called self-management. And uh, I've got two pieces in, in tonight's presentation. One is uh, 10 ideas about people who are pain in the neck. Uh, how many of you have had experiences with people who are pain in the neck or other places in the anatomy, okay? Um, the idea, what do you do with those people? You know, what do you do with those people? And then I've got uh, six ideas about how to manage yourself in relationship to people that are, are problematic. And we all have those. I said to a friend of mine the other day, I was going to a talk on how to deal with people you don't like. And so you could, that could be the subtitle uh, of this little talk. Uh, I'd like to begin with a quotation from Viktor Frankl. Uh, who knows who Viktor Frankl is, okay? Viktor Frankl was a Jewish psychiatrist that worked in uh, Vienna, Austria in the late 30s. And if you know anything about European history, then you know that Nazi Germany invaded, invaded uh, Austria in uh, uh, 1938 and uh, incorporated into the, the Reich, into the German uh, Republic, and then rounded up all the Jewish people who lived in Austria and shipped them off uh, to pleasure camps, uh, concentration camps, Auschwitz, Dachau, and other places. And, and Frankl and his whole family were rounded up and shipped to Auschwitz and other places. And Viktor Frankl, over the course of uh, several years, watched his entire family die and uh, he watched a lot of his friends and cohorts and all other people uh, die all, all the time. And he just kind of stood back. He was a physician, he was a psychiatrist, and he watched many people die, not from starvation, uh, not, not from being shot, not, not from you know, trying to escape, but they basically just uh, pulled the sheet over their head at night and died. They gave up. And he was, uh, he was uh, amazed at that and wondered, what, what, makes, people, what makes people give up? And so Frankl decided that he was not going to let the Nazis control him and how he wanted to, to live. And he found meaning in everything that he did. And you can imagine finding meaning in such a mundane thing as uh, cleaning a toilet with a toothbrush. And uh, he, he, he decided he was going to look for, look for joy and goodness in everything that he did. He said, I need to find meaning or I will go crazy and I will give up and die. And he has a quotation from a wonderful book of his called A Man's Search for Meaning. If you've never read this book, I encourage you to read this book. Uh, this is a life-changing uh, kind of book. It's about his uh, first part of it. It's about living in, uh, in a concentration camp. And then what do you do philosophically about your life in relationship to these terrible tragedies that you see every day? How do you respond to things that you don't like? That's really the essence of this book. Man's Search for Meaning. This is the quotation from that book. It says, everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. You tracking with that at all? Let me read it again. Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. At the end of uh, May, 
uh, on online, the edition, uh, uh, online edition of Forbes magazine had a very uh, interesting uh, little article in there entitled, Leaders Should Practice Self-Awareness. Leaders Should Practice Self-Awareness. And then it talked about the butterfly effect. Are you familiar with the butterfly effect? Uh, some of you some about know that. The butterfly effect is really kind of a, a weather phenomenon. Uh, people that were looking at this where uh, they discovered that uh, a butterfly uh, flapping its wings a half a world away uh, three months before could uh, have some effect on how a tornado and a hurricane got formed. It's really kind of an interesting idea. So uh, the idea uh, behind the butterfly effect is that a small change, a small change in the initial condition can lead to large, a large scale variation in the future. A tiny little change can have a big effect later on. And then the article in Forbes said this, that leaders cause ripples which affect the atmosphere. Now I'm assuming, and I know this, all of you are leaders somewhere. All of you are leaders somewhere, either in your family, in a relationship, at work. People look at you and want to follow what you're doing. Every one of you is a leader in some place in your life. Leaders create ripples which affect the atmosphere. And so it says in the art, little article that self-management is the key to success and to significance. It really begins with you. How you manage yourself wherever you might be in a given set of circumstances. Now we know from uh, neurobiology that uh, there's about a half a second gap between the time you and I get a stimulus, whatever it might be, and our ability to respond. Now, half a second doesn't sound like a whole lot of time, but neurologically, it's an immense period of time. And so one of the ideas here in self-management is, can you mind the gap between a stimulus and a response? The difference between a reaction and a response. You might be familiar with the little brain in the back of our head, the most primitive piece in our head. It's called the amygdala. How many of you are familiar with that idea? Amygdala. Some people call that our lizard brain. Our, you know, our lizard brain. You know, anybody got a pet snake or a lizard at all? Uh, they basically, lizards uh, basically know, have about three different responses in the repertoire of responses about when the threat comes along. They either fight, they either flee, or they either freeze. Now, you and I, we got that same piece in our head. We also have a little, a little higher brain too, our little executive brain. But when you and I are in a threatening situation, which could be anything really, all that executive brain in our head shuts down and guess what comes to the fore? Fight, flee, or freeze. Our reactivity gets heightened up. Now, what's the difference between reacting and responding? And so a leader, is one that does self-management so that he or she can be an effective responder instead of a reactor. So the following list that I'm going to share now uh, reflects what I've learned over the course of about 40 years with people I've worked for, worked with, and these are people who are most affected by and are highly reactive when any change or stress comes into the family, into a relationship, into a, any kind of work that they might be doing. Are you familiar with uh, reactivity with people at all? Do any of you have ever had experience with reactive people? What does that mean? Reactive people? Reactive people, a reactive person would be somebody that you do something to piss somebody off and they let you know it. And they might not be very nice about it either. 
and then you respond to them or you react to them being pissed off at you. What's, your, what's been your experience with that? I don't like it. You don't like it. <laughs> you don't like, and so when you don't like it, Jordan, what do you do? Depends on the person, you know, stomping around, you know, yelling or screaming, you know. Um, there's basically five different ways by which you and I deal with situations with people we don't like. We either have a conflict, you know, have a fight. We either, di we might distance ourselves, as in shut the door to our room, you know, not answer the phone. How many of you, how many of you, yeah, you're probably good at that. How many of you ever looked at your phone and saw who's calling and go, I'm not answering that? Any experience with that? That's distancing. Then cutting off is I'm never talking to you for the rest of my life. Okay? I'm sure many block. of you, yeah, right? What's that? Block. Yeah, block, for, yeah, block, <laughs> block forever. Okay. The fourth way is, and I'll talk about this a little bit later, we create a triangle. We create a triangle. You, you and I are, are you know, buds, and so you've done something to piss me off, and I'm going to go over here to Chris and say, what's up with Jordan? He's pissing me off. I, I, exactly. You'll talk to him, and that's what I want you to do. I'll talk to him. And so the best response that Chris could say to me would be, well, I know that you guys will get that figured out. Good luck. <laughs> As opposed to, I'll talk to him. And then the fifth way, the fifth way, the fifth classic way that we deal with tension in a relationship if we're a married couple is have kids. <laughs> Have a kid. So many of you are probably the product. <laughs> These are the five classic ways that we deal with uh, the tension in human relationships. Okay? That's what it means to be reactive. It's those kinds of ways. Okay? Okay, uh, I, I'm calling this um, the 10 characteristics of poorly differentiated persons. Now, the word differentiation is a biological science word. And it's really when uh, you know, our parents, let's say you know, our mom and our dad, have, have, a, have a relationship and we get made, and our first few days of being made were just a bunch of cells, right? That's called a zygote. And then it, you know, and then it, then it begins, you know, the cells begin to divide, begin to divide, begin to divide, and that little thing inside of our mother gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and then eventually, the blob begins to differentiate into arms and legs and fingernails and organs. That's called cell differentiation. And they can become unique and have integrity in each and every piece of the body that they might find themselves. Now, there is such a thing in cellular biology when cells do not differ, have no regard for boundaries whatsoever and do whatever they want to do. What do we call that when cells have no boundaries and do whatever they want to do? It's called cancer. It's called cancer, you know? And so cancers are undifferentiated cells. They can't keep their boundaries. I'm talking about people that can't keep their boundaries. They're non-differentiated. That's a fancy word, but that's what that's about. Now, you got any experience with people that can't keep their boundaries? Okay. Okay. I'm going, to talk, I'm going to talk about 10 ideas now, 10 characteristics of poorly differentiated people. These are things, people that we have run into. These are people that we ourselves might be. And then I'm going to talk about six ideas about how to manage all that uh, in, in life, okay? As a leader, these people are the ones that you're going to be most often in conflict with. And when you exhibit the following 10 traits, you're going to create anxiety 
in people, in your family, in your relationships, and in your business. And so I think poorly differentiated people are going to fulfill about six out of these ten. I'm going to give you ten characteristics. The first thing is this, is that these people are easily hurt or insulted. Do you know anybody that's easily hurt or insulted? They are often poor healers and injustice collectors. Do you know anybody that likes to keep a grudge? Resentments? This is them. Okay. They tend to see themselves as victimized. And their theme song is, it's never me, it's always them. And they use name and blame language. Okay. Know anybody like that? Okay. They're easily hurt or insulted. Okay. Here's another one. Is, this, this is an interesting one for people that are in leadership positions. Uh, these people, poorly differentiated people, idolize the leader very early on. They want to be your BFF. Okay? Um, the bond that you get with that person often becomes a bind because now they expect certain things from you because you're their BFF. And often they have a great need to be your very best friend. Um, I've kind of had this reputation that I'm not taking any new applications for friends. And um, that kind of pisses some people off who uh, want to be, you know, be my very, very best friend. But I've learned over the course of some hard knocks, be wary of people who want to be the, the closest they can get to you the first five minutes they meet you. Okay? So that's the second thing. Um, they idolize the leader early, but are often leading the pack when it's time to get you out of, out of the ballgame. Okay? Here's the third, third idea about a poorly differentiated person. They tend to be humorless and serious all the time. Humorless and serious all the time. Everything is dreadful. Here's a fourth thing. They are what I call these inside-out people. They're always innocent. Never me. They're quick to be hurt. And they often project their inner struggles onto others. Now, all of us got family issues, right? We all came from one, right? Don't we all got one? Okay. And for some of us, we put the fun in dysfunctional. Well, the fun in dysfunctional families, okay? What oftentimes happens with undifferentiated people is that they project the conflict that they have in their families onto you, the leader, or onto you in that relationship. You'll want to know, what the hell's all that about? And it's really about they're fighting, they're fighting somebody in their family through you. That's a sign that they really don't have a very well-defined uh, a personhood, that they're not very uh, well uh, differentiated at all, okay? They're unaware that they use you as a movie screen. I like that. And they project themselves. This is technically called projection, you know, in psychological terms, called projection. In a conflict, they're always going to pick out the part of the conflict that represents what they're doing in their families. We cannot get away from our families, you guys. They're with us all the time. Here's the fifth idea. Are you tracking with me so far? It's okay to say, Roman, I don't get it, so stop, okay? The fifth thing is they thrive on secrecy. These are people that love to be what I call information brokers. They got special info. that You got to go to them to find anything out. They're always in the know. Always in the know. But the interesting thing about it is they are completely impervious to any insight whatsoever. They just don't get it, okay? 
Sixth thing, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about this in a minute. They're constantly creating interpersonal triangles. I gave you an example a minute ago. Constantly creating interpersonal triangles. And one of the favorite uh, ways they put that together is, people are saying, Jordan, people are saying. They never name names. People. People. They're people. Or they say. They say. People say or they say. Um, they mess up staff relationships all the time by playing one person off from another. They'll go to you and say, well, so-and-so is saying this about you, kind of thing, okay? They never name names. Do you have any experience with people like that? Okay. It's called they, they, those inner, interpersonal triangles. Are ha happen all the time, by the way. Very easily. Very easily happen all the time, okay? Okay. Seventh thing, seventh idea. They are, they're given to group think, I call it. Um, they honestly believe the same things as everybody else in their group, and to, and to keep that going is they usually just hang around people that will listen to them and agree with them. Again, they're impervious to insight, so they're not going to look for anybody that might have a different set of ideas. Okay? The eighth thing is they often deal in all-or-nothing thinking. Either or, I'm right, and that means you're wrong. Can't be both. And then the ninth thing is this, tied into that, their sense of right, what's right and proper, um, seems to be related to what I'm calling ritual, that is, flow charts and policy manuals. They really get into flow charts and policy manuals and some of that kind of stuff. They're more concerned about that than they are about treating people ethically, treating people fairly or just. Now, I've worked in a number of organizations over the years, and whenever I talk to some people and they show me their policy manual and it's about that thick, some of you might work in places where policy manuals are that thick, that tells me that there's an organization that doesn't trust people to make any decisions. Do not trust people to interact in a, in a good way. You know, they're telling, they're, they're, they're afraid that you might have an idea different than theirs. You know? and usually those are very humorless places, by the way. Not very fun to work with. And then, and then the last thing I want to say about undifferentiated people is they rarely can be reasoned with uh, through, through, through love or reason. They, they rarely can do that. Okay? Um, you follow me on this at all? Okay. Anybody got any, yeah. Anybody got any questions or comments about just undifferentiated? Do you see any of you see yourself in this? Okay. 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 I did too. I saw you too. So, um, um, <laughs> no, Chris for a while too. So I figured I can say I can run that by him. <laughs> and Chris and Samantha just got married a couple weeks ago, right? Uh, yeah. Congratulations. That's all. Um, I do want to just say, I, I forgot to do this at the beginning. How many of you are millennials in that cohort? What time is that again? I don't know. It's... Raise your hand, 80. Yeah, you, you, you're like, to me, you look like that. Yeah. Okay. yeah. yeah. My wife and I have two daughters. One, one's a Gen Xer, and the other one's a millennial. And it's interesting to see that they, they often don't understand each other. Uh, but I just want to say how much hope I have as a boomer in you millennials. I, I, you, you, you guys have so much on the ball and are such good 
on so many ways and our city is going to really thrive because you guys want to do something great here. And I'm really, really glad to, to know that you're, you're doing it. And I, and I said, to, I, said to, I don't know, somebody, uh, maybe it was Nathan, I said the best thing that can happen, maybe it was Chris, the best thing that can happen for millennials is us boomers die off. Um, <laughs> You know, because I think we're getting in the way. We get in the way. We're standing in the way, uh, and and you guys got such great ideas. This this thing that's happening here, and well, and the, and the thing at UT, a lot of neat neat stuff happening. Okay, now I'd like to just talk a few minutes about about what I call a healthy way to live and relate to others, and this is where it begins with you. Okay, and uh, I think there are six things that each of us as leaders can do in our family in our marriage, in our relationships, in our work systems, six things that can help us thrive and have a, a healthier way of approaching things. And um, I'd like to ask you to think about trying some of these out this week. And that little piece I handed out about, about guiding principles, I'll talk a minute about that at, at the end. The first thing to think about is strive to be what I call a non-anxious presence a non-anxious presence. If you respond with greater emotion, equal or greater emotion in a relationship, you're gonna escalate the anxiety that that other person has in that relationship. But if you respond calmly, you will be able to calm their anxiety. And this means that it's very important that you become aware of your own emotional reactivity. And I call this the Job effect. I don't know how many of you might be familiar with the character of Job in the Hebrew Bible about the guy that had everything bad happen to him. And he had his couple of friends came over and they sat with him for a while. And then they kind of looked on their watch and they said, time's up, get over yourself. And then if you read the book, you'll understand that everything went downhill from there. What I mean about the Job effect is you and I are, are, are close buds here, and, and you're in a bad place, you know, and um, you've, tell, you've told me that, you know, a lot of crap's happening and stuff's falling apart, and I feel badly about that because that's, you know, affecting me. And I feel bad because you're feeling bad. But I don't like feeling bad. I don't. So my advice to you is get over it because then I'm going to feel better because you feel better. That's what I mean about monitoring your own reactivity. Because everybody's emotions have, have, has, have emotional connections to our emotions. This is particularly, uh, particularly evident if you're in a relationship with somebody, a really intimate relationship, and how he or she can get you going right away. We, some people call it, she knows how to push my buttons or my triggers. That's what that's about. So the first thing about being a non-anxious presence is to be aware of your own reactivity in the situation. And a piece that I use for myself, oh, by the way, this is not about strive to bat a thousand. That's not gonna happen. If you can just do two out of 10 times, that's, that's pretty darn good. Um, remember, if you're batting 325, what? How's, the, how's 325 as the batting average? Not bad, right? Pretty good. Pretty good. Okay, that means three times up at bat, three out of ten, I might, I'll hit the ball. That's all. Just hit the ball. It doesn't mean a home run or anything. 
I'm just asking you to think about this. Okay, strive to be a non-anxious presence by thinking about this little saying, I will not allow Nathan's emotionality to control mine. I will not allow nation, no, 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 I will not, I will not. That's a volitional statement. I will not allow Nathan's emotionality to control mine. And that's going to be tough. That will be tough. Because he's a, he's a close buddy, you know. And, I'm, and there's markers out there, you know, and I owe him. So you can see how complicated relationships get. Okay, here's the second thing is never, and I'm going to underscore the word never, never allow triangles in relationships. You will never be successful at doing that, but I strive for never because if I just said try, that's the Yoda effect. You know, there is no try. Just do. Never, never allow triangles in a relationship. Always talk directly with the person with whom you have a concern or an issue. Refuse to talk to a third person. We're all guilty of that, and you know how messy that can be. I'm, I'm notorious in my family that when our girls would come home and have a complaint about somebody, particularly a teacher or the principal, my first reaction was, what's their name? What's their number? I'll take care of this. And their response was always, Dad, you always make it worse. You always screw it up worse. Okay? That's what I mean about triangling, okay? If that doesn't work, if that third going, you know, if that talking to that person directly doesn't work, immediately go to the third person and say, Chris, Jordan said this about you. The two of you need to talk. Okay? Okay? Tracking with me on that triangle thing? Okay, just think about it. Can I try? Can I, try, can I work towards strive to be a non-anxious presence? Can I strive not to be involved in triangles? Okay. Um, remember that if you escalate your anxiety in that triangle, it's going to get the anxiety is going to get heightened. It's just how it works. Okay. Here's a third idea. Keep present and in touch with people with whom you're having a conflict. Be available. Don't try to fix things. Don't agree with them. Don't disagree with them. I call this have contact, but not closeness. You know, don't get re-embroiled in the drama, but have contact. It's important to be in contact with people with whom you disagree and are having a fight. We've all had, we've all had plenty of experience of doing this. You'll be amazed at what happens when you do that. Contact, not closeness. Okay? You'll be amazed at just practicing that little thing. Okay? Here's a fourth idea. Keep stating your individual goals and your vision about what you want to see happen with what I call I statements. You probably are all familiar with I statements. I believe this. I feel this. I think this. I will do this. I will not do that. Okay? It's very important to use I statements. Keep practicing that. That's, then you have real clarity about what you want to see, what you want to see happen. Okay. Fifth thing, and this is a surprise: expect to be sabotaged. Expect to be sabotaged. You know, when everything is going great, hunky dory, 
in your family and your play and your workplace, you better watch out. Because people, and I don't want you to be paranoid, but people, including maybe your spouses, if you're married, or your girlfriend, or your boyfriend, or your kids, they don't know that you're sabotaging, sabotaging you, but the better that you're trying to be as an adult by being a non-anxious presence, the more anxiety that that's going to cause some people. How many of you dance at all? Okay. And dance steps, you know, dance steps with your partner? You know, have any of you ever changed dance steps with your partner and didn't tell her or him? <laughs> you decide to do something else while she's doing something else, okay? And then there's always a little confusion, right, on the dance floor? And then somebody might say, I, I'm not, I don't want to do that, that dance. In other words, there's always pushback. That's the same idea. In relationships, we have dance steps. In other words, we fall into patterns of relating, and we keep that, that pattern going. And then you decide to change, and... Guess what's going to happen? You're going to get pushed back because you're changing. People don't like change, and so they're going to push back. Get back in your cage, Bill. Don't do that. Okay? That's what sabotage is about. Okay? Minding the dance steps, and if you're going to do something differently, just be aware that people aren't going to applaud. Okay? Particularly if you, if you want to be a non-anxious presence in highly anxious places. Okay? The sixth thing is, of this sixth thing, is it's important to keep stating your boundaries in what I call I statements or I language. This is what I believe, this is what I need, this is what I want. Needs and wants are very important to articulate in relationships. Okay? Self-definition seems to be the only thing that's going to bring health to systems that are highly anxious, and there's not a single system that isn't anxious because guess what? Human beings are there. Okay? Now, I'm going to, here's a, just to kind of wrap things up, I have three ideas about what I call principled leadership. Principled leadership, which is what that stuff I handed you out, guiding principles. I'll talk a minute about those. The first idea about principled leadership is this strive to be a non anxious presence. We talked about that. Okay? The second thing is move towards the difficult person or emotional unit. Okay. And the third thing is expect sabotage. These three things are grounds for good, principled leadership, no matter where you might find yourself. Then finally, I just want to say this. Remember that you're the common denominator in all your problems. Edit your life frequently and ruthlessly. It's your masterpiece after all. And I just want to say a word about these. We all have principles in our lives. We may not have ever thought about it, but here's an idea to think about it. And these are six principles that I've developed. Um, try to strive to do these for myself. Not successful, but I'm still striving. But some six ideas and some of this stuff that I've talked about tonight are incorporated in these. I just put this out in front of you, and if it's helpful, great. And if it's not, that's okay too. You can make an airplane out of it or, or um, or uh, use it as, as scrap paper, but I do think it's important to think about how you manage yourself in relationships wherever you might find yourself. Well, a lot of great content in that talk, Nate. What was the biggest takeaway for you? Well, for me, I think it was where Bill had said that we are the common denominator in all of our problems. 
not that we're the cause of all of our problems, but we're the one thing that we can control. Yeah, that's a great point. And uh, we love celebrating uh, people that have a great message just like Bill and helping them get their innovation out to the marketplace. And in fact, uh, Bill's benefited a little bit from our startup team. Isn't that right? Yeah, uh, Code City was able to uh, do some creative marketing startup services for a kind of a new venture uh, offshoot of what Bill's already been mm-hmm. doing. Um, so he's um, potentially going to write a book. Uh, oh, we great. were able to uh, build a new website for him and clarify some of his messaging. And there's been some talk of some videos. So. Uh, luckily, we have people in place at Code City who can help with those creative marketing type services. Yeah. So if you want to spend more time around people with an innovative mindset, with more entrepreneurs, uh, more people like Bill, uh, make sure you check out CodeCity.co and join us for one of our talks on a Monday night. Nate, can you give us some information on the Monday night talks? Yeah. So we meet every Monday at 6 p.m. at Rust Belt Coffee. It's in downtown Toledo. Mm-hmm. But, uh, we extend an open invitation to anybody who wants to come and check it out. Yeah. It's a great opportunity to learn more, um, to experience some of these talks, to make connections with other people. And really, I think even being in that Rust Belt building is very inspiring because in a way they are uh, entrepreneurs and innovators of their own. And I think even the founder did a talk at, at Code City as well, but we won't give that one away, will we? Yeah, not yet, but no doubt. Yeah, the founders of Rust Belt are innovators and creative artists, entrepreneurs themselves. Amazing. Yep. So again, if you're if you have a message that you want to get out, if you have a startup idea, if you just need some help with uh, with some people who are like minded innovators and entrepreneurs like yourself, go to CodeCity.co for other resources available, or join us on a Monday night at Rust Belt Coffee. All of the information will be in the show notes. We hope to see you soon.